Thank you, Felipe. Well, happy Easter, everyone. So great to be with you here today. A um, couple things, just in case you didn't know, we always reserve some seats in the front row. So if you were looking for somewhere, I don't know why, but there's some open there for you today. Uh, a couple other things that I want to make sure you know. If you are a guest, we would love to meet you in our guest uh, connections team in the back. Uh, in the plaza right afterwards, they have a gift for you, a little gift card in there, as well as this really cool reusable shopping. We, it's very Encinitas style. So, uh, if, and if you're like me, every time you go in the store, you forgot your reusable bags. And so there's one you can have uh, from our gift to you, as well as there's a little gift card in there, and we'd just love to meet you. So go afterwards to the guest services uh, table in the back uh, to the connections booth, and they would love to get to know you. So, well, it's great to be with you here today. There's some, we've already done it once, but there's this ancient uh, Christian tradition that uh, when we talk about the resurrection, someone would say, he is risen, and you would respond by saying, he is risen indeed. I know many of you already picked up on that, but so let's try it. Let's just kind of warm up a little bit. He is risen. Oh, you're already there. That's great. So it is, this is for us on Easter morning for Christians, is really the biggest event of the year for us. Christmas is awesome. It's so fun. It's great. But without Easter, Christmas really isn't anything different than a few gifts, right? So Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, without the resurrection of Jesus, we as Christians should be pitied among all people. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then our faith is useless. So that is the, uh, that's, you can't elevate this day any more than that. That what happened on this day is the difference between having a worthless faith and a faith that makes a difference. To believe in a God who's just uh, 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 maybe a con man or the true and living Lord who rose from the dead. And that's what we celebrate and believe today because we do believe he rose from the dead. Amen? Anyone agree with me on that? So that is uh, what we're going to celebrate here today. You know, um, there's a phrase that says, perception shapes reality. And maybe you've heard that and used it. And, and the phrase is a great phrase, but it's not totally accurate, right? Perception shapes our perception of reality. And, but sometimes our perception of reality is not reality. Sometimes our perception can be off. I remember a, a few years ago, I was on a plane, and I consider myself, I feel pretty young. Um, you know, I, I'm like young millennial, and uh, who grew up in the 80s. <laughs> what? <laughs> I <went> last. <laughs> yes, my formative years were in the 1980s and early 90s, so I get it. But I was a youth pastor for many years, so I, I always felt a little, I, I feel younger. I feel like I can relate. You know, I know the cool, well, some of the cool phrases and lingo, some of it. And, and so I feel like I relate. But I was on the plane a few years ago and I, by myself, and I was sitting in my aisle seat. And then there was someone who, she was probably about 25 years old on the window seat. And there was nobody in between on, in, the, in the middle seat. And uh, we just did our usual, hey, how you doing? I'm about to put in my AirPods so you ignore me the rest of the time. That kind of, you know, that first little thing that you do when you get on the plane. And uh, so we were saying hi. And I looked, and coming down the row was another guy, probably about 25 five years old, a young adult, who looked at us and gave us that look where you thought, ah, oh, someone's in the middle seat. But he comes, he said, hey, um, this is my row. And then he says, are, are you two together? And, and I kind of laughed and was like, oh, and we both said no. And I, you know, I laughed and, and, and just thought, man, I'm happily married for 25 years. Um, I didn't say that, but I was just thinking in my head. But he thinks that here I'm, you know, probably young married with this 25-year-old or something, and, and we're together. And then we said, no, we're not. We both laughed. He goes, oh, okay. 
He goes, that's great. He goes, because I'd hate to break up father and daughter. <laughs> so I get up and said, you are in the middle row, pal. <laughs> and he got up and I tripped him as he got into his seat and put my arms on the armrest. And you're not getting this armrest this whole time. So sometimes our perception it shapes our reality, but our reality might not be reality. We want to make sure that sometimes our perception matches what is reality. And, and when we're talking about Easter Sunday, this is the day when we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And, and it's an event in, event in history that is well attested that there was a religious teacher named Jesus who was crucified at the hands of the Romans. That's well attested. He's placed into a tomb in Jerusalem. And it's well attested that many of his followers, up to 500 witnesses, saw him rise from the dead three days on the third day. It's well attested that those followers, not just those 500, but in the thousands, gave their lives for this belief. In fact, we don't have time today, but we have reason to believe, or we believe that it's reasonable, if there is a supernatural God in the world, it's reasonable to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. History kind of matches up with that belief. And so today what I want to do is we're going to look at one story in Scripture, and, and from actually John chapter 4, it's not a necessary Easter story, but here's the thing. If Jesus is the resurrected Lord, that means we can believe that he is who he said he was. It means that we can trust the words that he said, and that we can trust that what he accomplished, he accomplished. If he is Lord, if he did come out of that grave, then we should pay attention to him. And we're going to look at a quick story today and see how a perception of Jesus will shape sometimes our reaction or response to him. And there's going to be challenge for those of you who maybe today you're, you're just seeking. Maybe you're here because it's Easter, and that's where you go on Easter. You go to a church. Maybe it's a gift to your family. Maybe a neighbor who's been bugging you to come to church time and time again. You said, fine, Easter, I'll go. If that's you, welcome. We're glad to have you here. And maybe some of you, though, you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, and we still want to encounter and, and interact with our own perception of who Jesus is. So let's look at this story. In John chapter 4, it starts this way. In John chapter 4, pick it up in verse 4. Because our perception changes everything. It starts off, and it says this, that uh, Jesus was walking. He had to pass through this region called Samaria. So he came to the city, a city in Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of land that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there, so Jesus was tired from his journey. He was sitting by the well, and it was the sixth hour. So here's the scene of what's happening is, is Jesus and his disciples are walking from probably somewhere around Jerusalem, and they're heading north to Galilee. And to get there, they had to pass through this region of Israel called Samaria. Now, most Jews would not pass through Samaria. They would walk around. They would take the long way. Because in the middle here called Samaria was a group of people who used to be part of the nation of Israel. And in their history, uh, this, this land, in fact, you heard about Jacob. He's, he's known as one of the uh, fathers of Israel. His son Joseph, Jacob, built a well there, dug this well. And so this is a region that they still hold to. But in when nation of Israel's history, they divided off. It became the northern kingdom. The northern kingdom was exiled to, by the Assyrians, by Babylon. And then eventually, all these other nations came into this region near Samaria and started intermarrying with the Jewish people there. 
And then they started bringing in all of their other religions. And so now you had this uh, people who were part of the Jewish faith, but it had been defiled according to the religious or Jewish faith. They now were worshiping all these other gods. They were participating in the worship the way those, uh, all the way up to the point of even child sacrifice. So it was very much a part, no longer anything that resembled the Jewish faith. So the Jews that remained pure in the southern kingdom near Jerusalem, they had this great animosity towards one another. In fact, so much so that in Samaria, they built their own temple, and they worshiped God their own way there. They threw out all of the Old Testament except for the first five books. That was the Samaritans. So most Jewish uh, people of the time hated the Samaritans and vice versa. So Jesus decides to walk with his disciples through Samaria instead of taking the long way around Couple reasons, one, because he's really smart, and I learned in, in math that the closest distance between two points is a straight line, and Jesus knew that, so he said, why are we walking three extra days? Let's go straight through. But obviously, he was setting this woman up for a divine encounter. So Jesus walks through this region. It's important we understand that the risen Lord who will one day rise, he had, some, he had a plan. So he stops and takes a break by this well. Verse 7. A woman from Samaria came out to draw water. Jesus said to her, Can you give me a drink? And in most of our translations just say, Give me a drink. I believe it's probably a little nicer than that. He said that because his disciples had gone away to the city to buy food. So the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, though you are a Jew, are asking me for a drink, though I am a Samaritan? Because the Jews did not associate with Samaritans. And and Jesus said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who's saying this to you to give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So now here's the scene. Jesus is in a place that you wouldn't expect him to be. and, And in Samaria... And he sees a woman who comes out, and and she's coming to draw water, and it's the sixth hour of the day, which, by the way, means about noon. And that is not when you go out to draw water. She came out alone. We're going to find out later in the story that she was hiding from her own people, or she was rejected by her own people. Usually, you go in the morning when it's cool. You go with a group of people. It's safer. She was alone getting water. Jesus is there. I want you to see one quick side note. I've never noticed this before, but it's cool. Why is Jesus now alone as well? The disciples went into the town to buy food for themselves. This is just a side note to show his disciples were growing in their own belief in who God was. They were dealing with their own bigotry and hatred of the Samaritans. They, that, those walls were already be bro- broken down. The fact that they were going to buy food would never happen, but here they are going to do it. It's a beautiful little side note of this story. So she comes out, and he says, can you give me a drink of water? And she says, are you kidding me? Who, who do you think you are? You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. Did you forget? We don't talk. And by the way, you're a male Jewish rabbi. I'm a female. We don't talk either. What is up with this? What's wrong with you, Jesus? And here we see is what I believe is the first of the perceptions we can have because our perception of Jesus affects how we respond to him. The first one is this. If you see Jesus as an interruption, Is Jesus to you an interruption? For her, he was interrupting the the status quo. For her, he was changing the way things were supposed to be done. You can't talk to me. You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. We can't interact. Remember, we hate each other. But he was interrupting that. 
He's interrupting the culture and saying something is going to be different. Is Jesus for you an interruption? Maybe you look at him and you think, I don't know if I want to conf- have Jesus come in and start to me- mess with my worldview. I don't know if, G- if I'm ready for Jesus to start shaking up the life that I have. If you're spiritually curious, maybe you're just seeking, you're not sure what you believe, that's a question you have to deal with. But if, it's, if we're talking about the resurrected Jesus, the actual Lord of the universe, is he an interruption to you? Is that how you see him? Maybe he's an interruption because you have barriers in your own head that you say, this is what separates me from God. I want to talk to some of you who are already Christians. Is Jesus interrupting your worldview? You say, I believe, I love Jesus, but I'm, I want to hold on to certain things that I have my own beliefs. Maybe I have my own bigotry that I'm going to hold on to. Maybe I'm going to have my own views that are more important to me than if, G- if Jesus challenges me, if Jesus wants me to kind of confront those beliefs and lay them down at the altar, I'm just not so sure I'm ready to do that. Is he interrupting your life as a Christian? Is there something that you're hanging on to that he wants to confront and deal with? Uh, In the book of Jeremiah, the prophet said this, My people have committed two sins. One, they have forsaken me, the spring of living water. Notice what Jesus is saying here. I will give you living water. He said, they have forsaken me, the spring of living water. And the second sin, they've dug their own cisterns, and these are broken cisterns. What he's actually saying is this, is that I am the source of living water. The imagery of living water here is usually a flowing river instead of in a well. Living water has fewer uh, germs and fewer uh, parasites and all those things. And, and so the imagery from the Old Testament is Jesus is this living water, this water that gives you true life, eternal life. And it's the two sins that his pe- the people have committed were one, they reject the source of true life. And they've instead replaced life by digging their own wells, creating their own systems of religion. And they're broken. They put their own rules of what it means to have eternal life, and it's broken. So for us, Jesus wants to interrupt that, but is he just an interruption for you? Let's look at the second thing as we go on, verse 11. So she said to him, so first he he confronts her and says, if you knew who I was, you would ask me, and you would receive living water, this water of eternal life. That's a good thing, right? Look at her response. She deflects. I love it. Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? You're not greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us this well. He drank of it himself, his sons and his cattle. Jesus answered and said, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I give will never be thirsty The water that I give will become in him a fountain of life springing up. I will give you true life. And this is, by the way, referring to this messianic passage in Isaiah 49 where it says, they will no longer hunger or thirst, nor will the scorching heat or sun strike them down. For he who has compassion on them will lead them, and he will guide them to springs of living water. So here's the next thing now. Jesus says, I can give you living water. I can give you something else if you knew. And she, then what does she say? Well, where's your bucket? If you're going to go get water, well, then where's your bucket? 
Where's this living water? Where's that coming from? In fact, you think you're better than Jacob? Do you, you think you're better than Jacob? A thousand years ago, he built this well. Not only did Jacob and his kids drink it, but his cows drank from this water. And you have something better than that? She's confronting him with it. Really? You think you have something more? And he says, but whoever drinks the water I give, you'll have this fountain of water. In fact, it's more than just this water. It's eternal life. Look at how she responds, verse 15. So she says, sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty, nor, catch this, have to come all the way out here to get my own water. That's a pretty, that's, she's thinking, right? <laughs> what she decides is, wait a minute, Jesus, if you have water that will make it so I don't have to make this walk every day, I'll take it. See, the walk was a walk of shame for her, we're going to find, because she has a lifestyle that she was hiding, as I mentioned. And she's saying, if you can, if you can give me something to avoid that, I'm all in. Here's a second perception we might have of Jesus. It's this. Do you perceive Jesus as just a nice addition to your life? What she was perceiving as, wait a minute, if, if, okay, all this talk about living water, that's great, but can you make it so I don't have to walk out here every single day and get my own water? Let's just get down to the really, what do I need to do to get that? I'll take that. Do you perceive Jesus as just a nice addition, maybe a genie in the bottle? You're waiting for him, you're saying, hey, I will obey, I will follow you, but what am I going to get for it? What's the transaction? How are you going to make my life more convenient? What are you going to do, Jesus, to make my life better? Are you, you're just a nice addition. So what, are you going to, what am I going to get in exchange is essentially what she's asking. How will you make my life easier? The question for us here today is what are, conditions are you putting on Jesus? Is he just a nice addition to you? Is that how you perceive him? He's just part of life that we add on. Again, for some of you, maybe you're not yet a follower and you're deciding, do I follow this God? What will that do? Maybe some of you are Christians and in you, you still sense that there's something missing because you've been treating Jesus like a transaction. Like he has something to, you're waiting for him to meet your needs. You're saying, why if I follow you, does evil still happen around me? Why, if I follow you, do, do bad things happen to good people? I, I don't know, Lord. Can you just prove yourself a little bit more? And you're seeing Jesus as just an addition to your life. Jesus is not saying, I want to be addition, an addition. He's saying, I want to give you a spring of living water, eternal life, to give you the life that you're created to live. It's going to be revolutionary life. It's something very different than just an add-on. It's not just to quench your thirst right now. It's to fulfill the longing in your soul. The late great Bible scholar, a guy named William Barclay, said this, we, will, we are never safe from the longing for eternity which God has put into the human soul. There's a thirst which only Jesus Christ can satisfy. The French philosopher Blaise Pascal, I don't speak French, so it's probably blah Pascal or something like that, but Blaise Pascal in 1670 said that we're all created with a God-shaped hole in our heart. And no matter what we try to fill it with, if it's not what we're made for, the life we're made to live, we're always gonna be longing for just something a little bit more. Some of the most satisfied people I know in the world still would say that it feels like there's just something missing. And when we see Jesus as just a nice addition, we can miss out on that. So let's continue with the story. 
Third thing is this. So he says, no, I'll give you eternal life. I'll give you this water. She says, give me that water. How great. I'll never have to make this walk again. And Jesus says in verse 16, okay, go call your husband and have him come out here. Let's have a conversation with him. And he wanted to deal, Jesus was dealing with the real issue now. He finally gets to it. And she says, well, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said to her, well, you said correctly that I have no husband because you've had five husbands and the guy you're currently with, he's not your husband. How is that for a, wait a minute, who are you kind of guy? (laughs) He said, you're right. You've had five. And the woman responds to Jesus, verse 19. She says, sir, seems like you might be a prophet. (laughs) Isn't that great? She said, wait a minute, how did you know the deepest secrets of my life? And then she deflects again. She says, our fathers worship here in this mountain. You Jews, you worship in Jerusalem. So where is the place that you worship? Verse 21, Jesus said, Believe me, a time is coming when you'll worship the Father, neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know, meaning that they threw out most of the Old Testament. So they had an incorrect, not a a full revelation. So you don't fully know how this works because you threw out most of our scriptures. The Jews worship what we do know, but look what Jesus says in verse 23. But a time is coming and now has arrived when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Because God is spirit and those who worship him worship him in spirit and truth. And the woman said, I know the Messiah will one day come and make all these things plain. Jesus' response said, I am he. The one who they believed would come, who would take on the sins of the world, who would be beaten, who would suffer according to Scripture in Isaiah 53, that he would be bruised for our sins, he would take upon all of the weight of everything that we've done with him in death. Jesus says, I'm that one. And all the things you've been hiding from, all of the deflection that you're making, it's I will take it. I'm the one. I will bear it right now for you all of it. That's me. What she was really asking is, well, how do I know? How can I really, where do we worship God? Is it here? Is it in Jerusalem? And Jesus says, you miss the point. A day's coming when we'll worship the Father wherever you are, and the day is now here. Look at Malachi chapter 1, verse 11. I have this on the screen for you. This is a prophecy. It says, My name will be great among the nations, from where the sun rises to where it sets. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me, because my name will be great among the nations. See, Jesus said, A time is coming, and now has arrived, when people will worship me. Wherever they are, all can come to me. Woman, the Samaritan woman, you can come to me. You've had five husbands. You're with a guy who's not your husband. You can come to me. That's why I'm here here. Friends, what we celebrate on Easter Sunday is this truth that Jesus came for her and for me and for all of us who are in her shoes. We just have our own story. And the story of Easter is that Friday night when we talked and and reflected on the, the crucifixion, that that's not the end of the story. Today is the end of the story. When he rose from the dead, it said, the victory is now in Jesus. Amen? So that means that this woman's life has been forgiven. And so the next perception, how do we perceive Jesus? The final thing is this. Do we perceive him as he is all 
I need. It changes. If Jesus is an interruption, it changes how you look at him. If he's just a nice addition, okay, that's the next thing. But look at, is he all I need? How do I come to this Father? How do I come to this God? Today, that's what we want to confront. Do you perceive Jesus as all you need? Or is he just that nice addition? Is he just an interruption? Or is he enough for you? And friends, I want to tell you, Jesus is enough for you. Easter Sunday reminds us that he's enough. He came out of that grave, and the victory is ours. It's now here. So how will you respond to this Jesus? I'm going to invite the band to start making their way up, and I want to take a moment and pray for you. And then we're actually going to transition after that into a baptism this morning. And for us, baptism is a symbol of new life in Christ, being alive in Christ. And what greater day to do that when we're talking about the living water, the water that flows from our God who gives us all we need, the life we're designed to live. And and in a moment, you're going to see a baptism this morning. And in it, it's symbolic of dying to our old self and coming alive in Christ, the true giver of living water and of life. But before we get there, I want to ask you a few questions. One, will Jesus, do you believe that Jesus can meet you where you are today? Where you are. Like the woman at the well, right where she was. Five husbands, sixth guy, in her sin. A Samaritan, meeting a Jew. All the things should be going against this interaction. Jesus didn't say, hey, go clean up, go figure this out, and then come back to me. He said, I want to meet you where you are right now. Will you allow Jesus to meet you where you are right now? Put aside all of the, yeah, but what about this in my life, or what about this thing? I believe this, th- these, I vote this way, I'm this ethnicity, I don't know, you know, I have all of these things that sometimes we say, can I fit with this? This is where I came from. Can I fit with Jesus? What all those barriers Jesus is saying? Put them aside. I want to meet you where you are. Don't think you have to come to me fixed. Just come to me how you are. Be willing to meet Jesus where you are today. The second question for us, are you willing to allow Jesus to lead you from where you are? Are you willing to say, if you really are the resurrected Lord and not just an addition to my life, if you really are more than just this great teacher who said some nice things, if you're something more, then are you willing to allow Jesus to lead you from your starting point? He wants to do it today. Look how he led that Samaritan woman. I want to take you from your your unbelief and your misconceived perceptions, all these, and I want to take you to something new. And then the third question that we want to deal with is this. Will you allow Jesus to fill you for the journey of where you're going? Is he going to be all you need? Are you willing to say, Lord, if you really did come out of that grave, I'm going to trust that you're enough for the next step of my life. Wherever we're going, I want to receive you and let you lead me. I want to pray for you as we end our time and before we transition. 
into this baptism and continue to celebrate. But as we end, one thing that's so great is the woman then runs into the city. She starts telling everyone. And she says, come and see. Come and see. I think we just found the Messiah. He knew everything. Come and see. Are you willing to come and see today the power of Jesus? Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? And as we pray, I want to just speak to a couple of you. First is this. For those of you who maybe you do not yet believe in Jesus. Or maybe you do, but you just haven't given your life to him or you've wandered away. Whatever it might be. And maybe God's speaking to your heart today, and I want to ask you, would you be willing today to start your journey with Jesus? You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to get it right. You could be like the Samaritan woman, and you could say, hey, I've got a mess. Are you willing today to start there? I say, Jesus, I invite you into the mess. If that's you today, would you pray this prayer with me in the quietness of your heart? Just pray, Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I ask you to forgive me for my sins. Would you bring new life, eternal life to me? And fill me with your spirit for my life from this day forward. And if that's you and you prayed that prayer today, all of heaven rejoiced over you. And I would love for everyone just to keep your eyes closed. I would love to know if you prayed that prayer so we could be praying for you. Would you just look up and make eye contact with me? I'll do my best to see. If, if that's you with that prayer today, I'd love to just pray for you. Maybe it's a prayer. You're coming back to the Lord. That's great. Any of you out there? So good. And Lord Jesus, you know the hearts of everyone in here. You know those who've looked up. You know what you're doing in their life. And Jesus, I pray now that just as you did with the woman at the well, Lord, would you remind us that in you is eternal life and it is all we need. And for the rest of us who are walking, maybe you're walking with Jesus, I pray for all of us, would we trust and leave here today believing in the resurrected Lord, that he's not just an addition, he's not just an add-on, he's not our genie in the bottle, he's the one who's going to interrupt but give us the life we're designed to live. Would, we tr would you trust that today as you leave? I want to pray for you, God. We pray the blessing over each person here who believes. Let us leave here with confidence in your resurrection and who you are. We give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, we're going to sing one song, and then uh, and we'll invite you to stand while we sing this song, and then we're going to transition to a baptism to end our service. So would you stand with us here?